Well, hello everyone. My name is Kevin Rockness, and I am the Discipleship Director here at Faith Covenant Church. I just want to thank you for taking some time out of your day to watch or listen to this. Um, we are just very grateful for your participation, and I just always want to remind you to make sure that you subscribe, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on any of the major podcasting platforms, to make sure that you don't miss any of the weekly content that we put out. So recently, we've started a series about spiritual disciplines and what those look like and why they are important. So lately, um, the first episode, we talked about dwelling in the Word, which is a Bible reading technique. Um, the next several episodes um, are going to be going through this book called Spiritual Disciplines Companion by Jan Johnson. And we started looking at that last week. And in this book, she goes through six different sections that talk about a variety of spiritual disciplines and why they're important. Within each section, there's a lot of different ways to do that. We'll talk about a little bit of it. And she also gives biblical examples of what that looks like and what fruit that produces. So last week, we talked about solitude and silence in the first section. So today, we're going to talk about section two, which gets into service and secrecy. And I love the secrecy language because it just sounds, seems more fun and kind of, you know, like we're on a spy mission or something, but um, service and secrecy. So um, we're going to start uh, looking at that and see what do these two things mean. So I'm just going to read a little bit of what she said about service and secrecy and what things are important about those. So she writes, service as a spiritual discipline is doing good for others with no thought of ourselves. Although we're commanded to serve others, service also acts as a spiritual discipline as it trains us to be selfless, to get our spirituality beyond our heads and into our hands, to connect with God in everything we do. And I love that description of service because it reminds us that it's not about us. It's about us getting out of ourselves and being focused on God and focused on other people. She also writes that service needs to be deeply rooted in other spiritual disciplines, such as solitude and Bible study, so we can encounter the heart of God, see how the neediness of people breaks it, and then our hearts can be broken too. So these spiritual disciplines are not something that just exists in a void. They reinforce each other. Here she's saying that the solitude and silence is an important part that leads us to service. That's the example we get from Jesus. Jesus spends time alone on the mountain sometimes to be in prayer with God, and then he goes out and does things. He serves people out of his time in solitude and silence. Jan also warns us that if our service is considered successful, we can become wrapped up in ourselves or in the service. That's why secrecy is the twin discipline of service. We refrain from letting our good deeds be known and keep our service hidden with Christ in God, which is a reference to Colossians 3.3. 3. So it's really interesting that these two would go together. So we're going to explore that a little bit further as we go on. But first, I want to address that idea of how doing flows out of being. You need to first be with God and having disciplines of being with God before you go out into service. 
So the biblical, or what she writes about that is that we burn out on service when our doing overshadows our being. We do good things that good folks are supposed to do without remaining inwardly connected with God. Running on no reserves, we wear ourselves out. But when we stay connected with God through disciplines such as solitude, worship, prayer, and community, our inner self is filled and alert. So when looking for a biblical example of that, we can look at the story of Nehemiah. And I'm not going to read the entirety of that because the portion that applies is fairly lengthy. But she looks at the example of Nehemiah 1, the entirety of chapter 1 and and chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. In this portion, Nehemiah has been part of the Israelites who have been exiled from Israel by opposing enemies in Babylon. Later on, Nehemiah gets to an important position with the king of Babylon, and before he requests to, or makes a request to go do something on behalf of his people, which is to rebuild the walls, he spends a great amount of time in prayer and confession of the sins of Israel. After spending all this time in solitude and in prayer, Nehemiah then goes to the king and asks for permission to rebuild Jerusalem's walls. And once he receives that permission, he goes out and starts doing it. So before Nehemiah does anything, he steps into a time of prayer and confession, has that alone time and that connection with God before he goes out and does anything. So that's what it means when doing flows out of being. It's about us being connected with God. The second piece in looking at uh, service and secrecy is looking at Jesus' heart for others. We're always wanting to um, emulate Jesus, so it's really important that we look at what Jesus does and what his heart is. So first, I want to read this passage um, from Jan Johnson's book, and she says this about service. To serve people who can do nothing for us in return trains us in selflessness. Often these are the outcasts and have-nots of society, mentioned over and over in Scripture throughout the law, the wisdom literature, and the prophets. The gospel message is just as tough. In 1 John 3.17 it says, How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Dallas Willard writes that, Possibly the most pervasive theme of the biblical writings is the transformation of status for the lowly, the humanly hopeless, as they experience the hand of God reaching into their situation. So here she's exploring the idea of how our service needs to be rooted in desire for the other, regardless of whether they can do anything for us or not. That is the true heart of service, doing for others without expecting anything in return. The example that Jan Johnson looks at is that that is found in Luke 8, verses 26 through 39. This is a story that's perhaps familiar with many of you. It is the story of Jesus encountering a man who is possessed 
by a number of demons, so many demons that they are collectively known as legion. In this story, Jesus confronts this man, confronts the demons, and sends them out of the man, healing him. That man couldn't really do anything for Jesus, but Jesus simply had compassion on him and decided, yes, I want to help this person out of love for this person. So Jesus sends the demons away, and in a curious twist, they end up going into a herd of pigs, and the pigs end up drowning themselves under demonic influence. It's a very interesting story. But again, at the heart of it is a training in selflessness when we are doing things for others with any expectation of receiving anything in return. So, continuing on from there, we also want to talk about how service over time transform our souls, or transforms our souls. So I'm going to read a little bit of what uh, Jan Johnson has to say about that. She says, Have you ever watched somebody who embodies love? They don't attack people verbally, nor they do they withdraw when someone is obnoxious. They don't try to manage or control people. They know how to love respectfully, to say and do just the thing you need. How do we become this way? While activities such as praying 1 Corinthians 13 meditatively help, we need to follow up by doing love. Practice love through service. Get inside acts of love and find the traps of self-importance. That's how service stretches us and forms us as people. God doesn't need our service. We need to serve. Witnessing selfless, selfless service can be transforming too. So I just love everything that she wrote there, um, especially this idea of doing love. Um, some of you from my generation may remember the DC talk, DC talk song, Love is a Verb, and I love that. It's something we do. It's not just a feeling or an emotion. It is that, but it is also a verb. It is an action that we, are, uh, that we should go out and do. God doesn't need our service. We need to serve. That is what forms us. I also love what she wrote about witnessing selfless service can be transforming too. I've certainly experienced that in my life many times where the service of other people deeply moves me and I realize, wow, I need to find ways of serving. Maybe that's not the way I do it, but I need to find ways. So for example, I did a mission trip to Honduras with uh, Agua Viva. Many of you are familiar with that. And while I was on that trip, I was very much out of my element. Um, it was a lot of physical labor, um, very difficult conditions. Um, and I was not in my element of serving. It was good for me to do so, but I was not in my element. What I did see, though, was people who were in their element. I saw people serving in ways that were radical, and that deeply moved me. And it made me say, okay... How can I serve? What can I do to help other people? And that is part of what started my journey towards going into ministry, was just watching other people radically serve others. 
So the story that we uh, look at for this example is from John 13, verses 1 through 17. And I'm going to read a portion of it. I'm going to read uh, verses 12 through 17. This is the story um, right um, at the Last Supper where Jesus is kind of having his final meal with his disciples. And to their surprise, Jesus takes some time to say, you know what, I'm going to wash all your feet. And they're very surprised because that's a very humble, servant-like thing for a person to do. And Peter even resists it. Peter says, no, Lord, I should be watching, washing your feet. But Jesus insists and washes theirs. And that's where we pick up the story at verses 12 to 17 of chapter 13. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an, ex an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a, a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So here Jesus is acknowledging that he is at a very high status as Lord and as teacher. He is above the position of someone who would be washing the feet of another. But ultimately, he says, no, if I can do this for you, you also have to be willing to do this for other people. None of us are above the other. This is something we all need to take part in because the master is not putting himself above people and the servant is also not above the master. It's kind of a, uh, a lot of paradoxes here, and, but it's just an incredible example for us to follow. Jan Zonson then has a couple of other comments that I thought were really interesting about this passage. And um, like I said earlier, Peter initially resisted being served by Jesus. By, um, he didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. And she writes, like Peter, we may resist being served. But Jesus wants others to serve us, to enrich us, and teach us how to serve. I know I've experienced that. I mentioned my Honduras trip uh, a moment ago. And when I was on that trip, I was very uncomfortable with the people in the village feeding us. Because I thought, you know, I have so much at home. I have all this food at home. I was really uncomfortable with them doing anything for me when I was there to serve them. What I realized is that I was putting myself above them in not wanting to be served by them. And that was really a humbling realization for me. So just when, when someone is willing to serve us, I think it's important in many cases, if not most cases, to let them because they are doing something that is coming from the heart. And that's a really beautiful thing that we shouldn't ignore. Jan Johnson also writes of the story that uh, even one instance of obedience means that you are never the same. You have experienced God in some way. And in order to disobey the next time, you have to move backward away from good. 
obedience and participation in spiritual disciplines opens you up to great possibilities of transformation because the hope of glory is experiencing Christ in you. I just thought that was really profound, and so I wanted to make sure I shared that. So continuing on um, with the next part of service and secrecy is the peril of a hypocritical heart. Sometimes when we serve, it can kind of boost our ego a little bit in different ways, and we have to be aware of that so that we don't can um, so that we don't fall into that trap. So I'm just going to read a portion here about what Jan Johnson says about that. Serving others can make you or break you. Working hard to help others can train you in compassion and selflessness as no other discipline can, if you stay connected with God. Otherwise, your diligent efforts can become self-serving. As people appreciate you, your insecurities take over and you start trying to prove yourself. You use your helpfulness to gain religious respectability so that other people look up to you. If you harbor a need to be right, serving can become your war machine. You serve not with a heart for others, but with your own agenda, leading people not to God, but to your own ideas. You'll be meticulous with taking care of the details, but not offering mercy and justice. Perhaps you avoid these shortcomings, but allow service to become a series of benevolent outward actions. Getting the job done becomes the goal, and you disregard the heart of those you serve, those you serve alongside, and even your own self. You're eager to guide others, but you guide them to good works, not to following God. Without realizing it, you become hypocritical because your service is about you and not God. That's a really challenging word, but I think a very valuable one for us to keep in mind. And it's one that's reinforced in Scripture as well, in a very long passage that we're not going to read all of. Um, But in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 37, Jesus is essentially making these kinds of comments about these Pharisees. These Pharisees were kind of a group of the religious elite, and they were kind of always showing how good they were to other people with how loudly they prayed and the ways in which they did good acts for other people. So I'm going to read just verses 1 through 7 from the beginning of chapter 23. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples and said, The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, Do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by people. And then as the passage continues on for many verses, Jesus says, Woe to the Pharisees, for they do all these things, but it's not out of a heart of goodness. It's only out of a heart 
of specifically obeying a certain set of traditions and to be seen as important or doing good. We need to be very careful about having these attitudes creep up into our lives. It can be very dangerous for us. So Jan Johnson has a couple more comments on these ideas and she writes, in your, business, uh, in your busyness and fixation on getting things done, devotion to God can drop away. As you become weary, you think maybe you deserve a little reward, so it's okay to grab those cheap, chief seats and honored titles. If the need is great, you may feel that you have to jump in and do. You may even become paternalistic, thinking that you know what is best. Instead of asking folks about how you can help their needs, you think you know what they need and you do it for them. She also writes about having a hidden agenda in service and she says this, Examples of serving with a hidden agenda include wanting a mentally disabled person to make great developmental progress, wanting a homeless person to have a home because that's what normal people do, or teaching so that students in your class think that you, or think that, sorry, I'm going to start that sentence over, teaching so that students in your class think as you, their teacher, think. Serving with a hidden agenda makes us controlling and controlling people do not generate trust or compassion. If we offer our service to God with no thought of the outcomes, it's easier to serve others with respect and compassion. So it's really important to avoid those kinds of things in our service. There's a lot of temptations that we face. That doesn't mean we run away from service. It just means that we need to be checking ourselves and part of that, again, goes back to that time in solitude and silence with God. That's God's opportunity to show us if our motivations are what they should be. So now she's talked a lot about uh, the service piece of things. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the discipline of secrecy that goes along with service. So she writes, in the discipline of secrecy, we do not tell, hint, or cause our good deeds to be known. This quiets our desire for admiration or even the mere attention from others. So again, this is avoiding the perils of hypocrisy that we talked about with the last piece. And so secrecy basically encourages us to not share necessarily the good works that we're doing because that sometimes just brings undue attention. We should do these things simply for the joy of doing them. It can be our little kind of spy secret with God when we do something good for someone else. And we can just share in the joy of um, knowing that they're going to experience a good thing without necessarily knowing where it came from. So an example of that um, comes out of Matthew 6, um, verses 1 through 8. And so I'm just going to read this uh, passage again, Matthew 6, 1 through 8. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by the people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand 
Know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room and shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask them. So in this passage, Jesus is simply talking about the idea of having your deeds and even your prayers sometimes be kept hidden so that people aren't looking at your deeds and going, wow, what a great person. It helps you to keep your motivation to be purely about the act of service and purely about praying. And Jan Johnson has a couple of really interesting comments about that that I really appreciated, especially when um, we think about the part where um, Jesus talks about, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So she writes, Jesus used the hands to uh, represent different parts of oneself, playfully suggesting that we can keep something so excessively secret that one part in one part of our mind um, that another part will not know what the other part is thinking or choosing. His figure of speech also speaks of goodness that is automatic and unconscious. The kind of people who have been so transformed by their daily walk with God that good deeds naturally flow out from their character are precisely the kind of people whose left hand wouldn't know what their right hand is doing. They do not have to invest a lot of reflection in doing good for others, for they are, about, for they are absorbed in love of God and of those around them. They hardly notice their own deed and rarely remember it. I think that's just a really beautiful description about how to have the motivation of secrecy. Now here in the passage, it also mentioned prayer in secret. Oftentimes we do let people know that they are praying, that we are praying for them as an encouragement. And so there is kind of a fine line there. And so Jan Johnson addresses that and writes this. While it is often appropriate to encourage others by letting them know you are praying for them, we need to look at our hearts. Are we using it as a subtle means of, subtle, of self-congratulation? What if I could simply listen to a struggling person speak without rushing to say how I've been praying for them? So just keep that in mind when you're praying for people and letting them know that you're praying for them. Indeed, it can be very encouraging to know that you're being prayed for. I've certainly experienced that. Just make sure that when you're telling people, you're truly doing that with the attitude of, I want to make sure that they know that they're being loved and covered in prayer and that people care for them. So just keep that in mind. The last piece of service and secrecy that we're looking at today in this book is what she calls simple, unpretentious service. And so she describes that this way. She says, simple, unpretentious service is foreign to some traditionally religious people. We weigh, plan, and program our service self-conscious about how we look and what people will think. 
The good Samaritan that we'll talk about in a moment, the good Samaritan saw a need, took pity on the suffering man, and put the guy in his donkey. So with that, um, I'm not going to read the story for us today, but in Luke 10 verses 25 through 37, there is a story of a good Samaritan who is someone that most of the Jews wouldn't have liked, but this good Samaritan comes upon someone who has been beaten and robbed and left for dead. And while other people who should have helped walked right on past him, this good Samaritan just said, yep, here's a person in need. I'm going to put him on my donkey, take him to a safe place, and help them get the medical care they need. Didn't make a big deal out of it, kept it really simple, and just said, I see a need, I'm going to take care of it. Not a big deal. So, um, when we look at that kind of service, we also have another comment um, from Jan Johnson that I really appreciated. And she wrote that loving others can be difficult. We think of so many reasons we should not have to forgive or help, at least not certain persons who have harmed us. We can love only as we grow and respond to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the reason she wrote that was because the Good Samaritan really had um, a lot of cultural baggage. Samaritans weren't well regarded um, by Jewish people in that time. And so for the Samaritan to step up and help that person was a very forgiving and loving thing to do. Sometimes simple, unpretentious service is doing things that are really simple for people that may really frustrate us or that may cause us concern. That is what it looks like to love people unpretentiously and simply. So that is the discipline of service and secrecy. Again, those can take a lot of different forms. Serving others can take so many different forms. It can involve donating to charities or churches, um, supporting programs um, like food drives or clothing drives. It can be things like blood drives. It can be helping a neighbor with their yard work. It can be anything. So many different things can fall into this. Um, we are just encouraged to always be serving people as Jesus served them and to always be maintaining the right attitude about service. If you have any stories or questions or comments about today's episode or any of our episodes, um, please feel free to contact me. My email address is listed in the episode description of this podcast episode. As always, I'm just very thankful um, for your time in watching or listening, and I hope you have a wonderful and blessed day.